Okay, so we continue this series today, and we're in part three of this series. And in week one, we discussed how, uh, who is our God? And the Bible says that you can't serve two masters. You can only serve one. You either serve God, the Lord of heaven, or you serve something called mammon. And we discovered that mammon is like wealth and this God that you, you worship. And, uh, and, and so that was week one. Week two, last week, we discovered who's our owner. And uh, who owns all that we have, all the possessions that we have? Who is our owner? Well, today we're going to discuss something. And have you ever been in that situation where uh, you find yourself in a position and it's like really awkward? And that you're just like, oh man, this is like awkward. I'll give you an example. When I was 10 years old, uh, my family and myself, we had uh, moved to a place called Wolverhampton in England. And uh, we were, we'd been there like a year and a half, and uh, my dad was a pastor, and we began to know people in the church. And there was this one family in the church who had been in the church for years, and they had a little girl. She was like eight years old. And for some reason, my parents wanted us to matchmake together. I'm like, I don't know what parents like try to matchmake a 10-year-old and an eight-year-old. I mean, that's kind of sick if you ask me. But, but anyway, so my parents started trying to get us together. So we went on this trip to the beach. And, uh, and, and in England, you don't have like nice sandy beaches. Most of them are like pebbly beaches and the water's really cold. And you have like two weeks out of the year where you go to the beach. So like, we go down to the beach and this family come with us. And, uh, and, and when we get there and there wasn't any like changing rooms or anything like that uh, uh, or any showers. So, so I've got like just normal clothes on because it's kind of cold, but then I want to get in the water. So I put my swimming uh, shorts on and uh, well, I go to, but there's nowhere to get changed. So my mom says, oh, don't worry. I'll put a towel around you and, uh, and, and we'll put the shorts on. So my mom puts a towel around me. Everyone else is around and uh, I take my normal clothes off and, you know, all that stuff. And then I'm about to put my, my shorts on and my mom hears something. She turns around. She drops my towel in front of everybody. So there's this girl that eight years old and she's just looking like with these like boggle eyes. It was the most awkward experience of my life. And you can imagine as a 10 year old, there really isn't much to see for a 10 year old either. So, uh, uh, so it was like awkward. I mean, totally awkward. Well, today it might be one of those awkward experiences for you. You're not going to like find yourself with your pants down or something like that. But it's going to be one of those awkward experiences. And the reason is, is because what we're going to talk about today is something that a lot of people just don't like to talk about in church. And I've heard lots of people talk about in church. And a lot of times I think people who talk about this stuff in church often abuse what we're going to talk about in church. And you may feel like today as we're talking about this, you may feel like that awkward experience, like everyone is looking at you. And the truth is, nobody is looking at you today. The only person that is looking at you is God. That's the only one that's going to be looking at you. So there's no need to feel awkward today in what we're going to talk about. We've already learned that God is the God of our finances, of our wealth, of our possessions, all that we have. We've also discovered that God is the owner of all that we possess. We're not the owners. We're just the managers of what, what, what we have. God is the owner. That means that the pressure is taken off us. That God is, the man, God is the owner, we are the manager. Well, today we're going to discuss an issue that I guarantee 95% of people hate talking about in church. And, you know, you've probably heard lots of people talk about it. And some of you may be here today because you, you may have been in church for, for a number of years and you've stopped, go, you've stopped going to church because people talked about this all the time. And what we're going to talk about today, we're going to talk about church giving. Church giving. 
People often ask, and I get a lot of questions, and hear a lot of people ask, how much should I give to a church? Then another question is, is tithing biblical? Another question I hear people ask, what sort of offering should I put in the offering plate? Another person I, I once asked me, says, will God be mad at me if I don't give to the church? And then I've had other people say, well, I can't afford to tithe. I can't afford to give. Would God want me to go into debt in order to give to a church? Well, we're going to put your mind at ease today. So before you're like, oh, no, he's talking about giving, then we're going to put your mind at ease. You know, at Generation Church, one of the things that has been on my heart since we started this church was that we will always teach on the absolutes of the Bible. Where the Bible says it is black and white, we will teach it. But there's areas of the Bible that are very gray. And people discuss and and people don't even come to an agreement of what these things are. And there's lots of gray areas. And we won't center on the gray areas, but sometimes we'll discuss the gray areas because they're interesting subjects and sometimes they need to be addressed. Well, today we're going to talk about giving. And giving has both absolutes and gray areas. And actually, for a lot of you this morning, I bet your thought of giving in church, you thought it was an absolute. Maybe it's just a gray area in the Bible. If you've got your Bibles today, if you want to turn to Malachi chapter 3, you may think, where is Malachi? Well, Malachi is the very last book of the Old Testament. So if you flick and you find like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, flick back just a few pages and you'll find Malachi. And in Malachi chapter 3, and uh, we'll start reading at verse 6, this is what it says. It says, I am the Lord and I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return to you when we have never gone away? Now let's pause for a moment. Here we see that these people that, the, that God is talking to, these people are church-going people. They go to the Jewish temple. They, 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 they probably read the scriptures. They pray to God. They are good people. But God says that you've gone away from me. And they says, we've never gone away. We've always been here. We come to the temple. We give. We, 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 we pray. We read our Bibles. We volunteer. We haven't gone away. But then God says this. He said, but you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? Then in verse 8 it says, should people te- uh, cheat God? Should people te- cheat God? And then before they even answer, God says, yet you have cheated me. It's pretty strong words if you ask me. The, 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 new, uh, the King James Version says that you've robbed God. And they says, and you've robbed me. I think that's, I mean, it's pretty strong. And then he says, but you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? And then God says this, you have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Then he says this, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's army, armies, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. And I will pour out a blessing so great, you won't have enough room to take it all in. Then he says, try it. Put me to the test. Your crops, uh, 
It says, your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and diseases. Your grapes will not fall up from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Now I read this and I think, whoa, this is kind of crazy. These people, they just like withheld their tithes and offerings from God. And God is saying that they are cursed. They are cursed. I mean, that's pretty strong. That God is saying that these people are cursed. Well, let's bring this into kind of some kind of context. Because it's so easy to take it out of context. And I'll be honest, I've heard lots of Bible teachers who have taken this out of context. And they've kind of put a guilt trip on people. And people read this, they're like, well, I don't want to rob God. So, you know, they get their their checkbook out or whatever. Well, let's take it into context. Here, God is talking to some people who live in a place called Jerusalem. And what had happened in this place, Jerusalem, the, the people, they once loved God and they served God. They went to the temple. They did all the things that they should have, and God blessed them. Then one day, what happened? They started drifting away from God. And eventually, they were at this place where they had, been, uh, they had neglected God. They turned their backs on God and they started concerning themselves with all the other things in life. And we talked about in the past two weeks, all the things we can concern ourselves with. Trying to make money, trying to take care of our possessions, take care of our house, this and that. And we can turn our back on God. And this is exactly what these people have done. They turned their back on God. And the result was this, that their city was in ruins. Their city was in ruins. It was in physical ruins. And it was in financial ruins. I mean, it looked like modern day Baghdad. I mean, they'd had enemies come and destroyed their city. And then financially, they were strapped for cash. I mean, they had no money. And it kind of reminds me of kind of our nation, you know. I mean, we got no money either as a nation. And this is kind of where they were. They were in ruins. And the, and the result of these ruins was, was that the temple of God was in bad shape. It was in bad shape. And the temple could not function in the way that God had designed the temple to function. And then due to the temple not being able to function, then people just drifted further and further away from God. And then the result was the city just got worse and worse and worse. And then God said to these people, he says, Now, you people are cursed because you've stopped tithing to the temple. These people, I'll be honest, I bet they they had probably never heard or never understood the biblical teachings of their forefathers who were taught about tithing. The reason was is because these people who God was talking about, they grew up in a city where um, where the temple of God had already been neglected. When they were born in Jerusalem, Jerusalem was already in ruins. Jerusalem was already on the downhill. And they had grown up with the the temple of God not being the focal point of their community. And so these people had probably never really knew the biblical meaning of tithing. And they had grown up and they would seen their parents. That their parents didn't care about the temple. Their parents hadn't tithed. So then why should they tithe? But then God comes and says, look, you've robbed me. You've cheated me. Now the law of Moses which was given like years and years ago. You know, you remember Moses with the Ten Commandments, you know, and the guy said, let my people go. Well, God gave him all these laws. And God said to Moses, he says, tell the people that they must bring what we call tithes and offerings to the temple. 
Or there was something else, it was called the tabernacle, because at the time there wasn't a building, there was just a tent that they put up, and, they, and that was their temple. Now a tithe was what we call an ancient principle. It wasn't just a Jewish principle, but it was a principle that many different nations practiced. And the tithe, uh, basically the meaning of a tithe means a tenth. I mean, that's just a direct translation. It means a tenth. And people would bring a tenth of their produce and offer it unto God. And so, in those days, there was lots of farmers, people who grew crops. They grew grain, they grew wheat, and I don't know what else they grew in, the, in those days. Then you had ones, you had cattle, and they had sheep, and, uh, and, and they, would, they would grow cattle and things like that, and uh, all, you know, get the cattle to mate and things like that, and uh, and produce more cattle. And that's what they would produce. And it was out of this produce that they would come and they would bring it to God and they would offer it unto God. And God told Moses, he said, now tell your people, the people of Israel, tell them, he said, that, you, that they should bring a tenth of all their produce and bring it to the temple or the tabernacle to fund the tabernacle. To fund the tabernacle. And so what the people would do, they would come and, and, and they would harvest their crops and they would, they would set aside one-tenth of their crops and they would gather them and they would take them to the temple. And in the temple there was lots of different storehouses and uh, lots of different basically closets, uh, like big closets where they would bring things. And the people would come and they would get their produce, they would get their grain or their wheat or their lambs or their, or their cattle and they would come and they would put it in a storehouse in the temple. That's what God meant when he said, bring all your tithes into the storehouse. So he would come and bring it into the storehouse. And then what would happen is that the produce that was kept in the storehouse then would help the temple function as the temple ought to function. And there was three ways that, the temp- that this produce was used in the temple. The first way was to help with the livelihoods of what we call the Levitical priests. They were the priests who were in the temple. They were the ones who serviced the temple. The produce was help, uh, used to help service the temple and also to help the priests make a livelihood and basically feed themselves and feed their families. The second, way, the thing, that the, uh, second thing that the produce was used for was what we call sacrifices and worship. Now you and me today, we don't make sacrifices like they did unto God. They would come and they would make animal sacrifices unto God as what we call a sin offering. So God would forgive them for their sins and they would come and they would make a sacrifice. Uh, Instead of them being on the the sacrifice, they would have a lamb or, or a bull or a goat and they would sacrifice that unto God. And the produce that was given to the temple was used for these sacrifices. And so, it, it, you know, if you've got a spare moment in the day and you want to read like Numbers and Leviticus, and uh, don't read it at night because it's really tedious at times and you may fall asleep. But you read through there, you read all these different offerings that these Jewish people made unto God. And they made animal sacrifices, they made grain sacrifices, they made fragrant sacrifices, all these sacrifices they made unto God. All those sacrifices were from the things that were in the storehouse that the people had brought into the temple. And then the third thing that this produce was used for, it was used to, to care for the needy in the temple, or the needy in the city, I should say. And what they would use, there would be people in the city, there were widows, there were orphans, there were sick people, there were foreigners who just couldn't get a job or couldn't make any money. And what they would do is that they would use this produce to help those people live. 
It was almost like an ancient welfare system. And this is what the tithes and the offerings were used for. And Moses said to them, he said, this is a strict command. This isn't optional. This is a strict command. Now that was the tithe. But you may ask, well, what's an offering? Well, the offering was, was something a little different. There's lots of offerings in the Bible. But the main offering was something called the first fruits offering. I'm teaching a little bit this morning and, and just giving you, and we'll get into just a little bit more application in a moment. But you need to know the context of what this was all about. And there was something called the first fruits offering. And what that was, people would come at the beginning of harvest or at the beginning of spring when their little lambs were born and things like that. And they would come and they would bring the first, what they call the first fruits or the first bit of harvest, or the first animals that were born. And they would come, and they would bring it and offer it unto God as an act of worship unto God. This was an undesignated amount, unlike the tithe, where people could bring as much or as little as they liked. And what they would do, they would come and they would bring it, and they would offer it unto God as the first fruits. And the whole principle, this ancient principle, behind this tithe and this first fruit offering was this. They believed, that everything they had was the Lord's. They believed it wasn't theirs, it was God's. And then they also believed that God was the one who had blessed them with those crops. And so, like years ago, the farmers used to, you know, we used to have these harvest festivals and things like that to celebrate the harvest that, that God had given us over that harvest season. This was exactly the same. And so they would come and they would say, God, you have blessed me with this crop or blessed me with these animals. I am now giving a portion back to you. And then we see here in Malachi that that God says to them, he says, if you return to this ancient principle that you you are not doing, then I will bless you. And he says this, he says, I will bless you so much that your storehouses, both in the temple, in your home, in the city, will overflow so much, you will not have enough storehouses to keep all the things that I am going to bless you with. And I think the reason that God says this is because when the temple of God can function, I also believe that the city and the community function. When the temple of God or the people of God suffer, I believe the community suffers as well. We can rely on our government and government agencies and and, and, and just the different things that, that we can help and rely on our prophets. But when it's the temple and the people of God who neglect God, the ultimate thing is that the community suffers. And I believe that this is the only time in Scripture that God says to anybody, He says, now, if you do this, I will bless you. Now, test me in this. Test me in this. It's the only time in Scripture that God says to anybody, test me. And I'm a believer that while there's no longer a temple in Jerusalem, while there's no more uh, the law of Moses, because the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ came to the earth and he fulfilled the law of Moses. So there's no temple, there's no law anymore. The Bible says that we are under grace, not law. And even though that's all the case, I personally believe, and this is my personal belief, I believe in the principle of tithing unto God. I've done it since I was 16 years old, and there's been a few occasions when I haven't tithed, and and I know God hasn't blessed me. But I know when God has blessed me, God has really helped me. 
And I, one of our guys here, Brandon, he, he owns a business, he owns a Sears, and uh, he had a smart idea of opening a business like in our worst recession ever. And uh, so he told me, he said, he says, you know, it's funny. The weeks that I give on to God, it's just like everything's fine. But the weeks that I kind of forget to give on to God, we just have problem after problem with our business. And, and I don't know why that is. But all I know is that God says, if you test me, then I will prove that I will bless you. And so if God says, then this is the way I read the Bible. If, if God says to test me, then I'm going to test him. And if God says that I'm going to bless you, then I'm going to believe that God is going to bless me. You know, in week one in this series, we learned that God is a covenant-keeping God. He is a God that keeps His promises. And so if God is a covenant-keeping God and He says that I will bless you, then I'm going to believe that God is going to bless us. Well, we no longer have what we call Levitical priests anymore either. I'm not a priest, and, you know, none of you are Levitical priests. But instead, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 5, it says that we have a high priest. And his name is Jesus Christ. And then the Bible tells us, he says, we no longer have a physical temple, a temple kind of built of bricks and mortar. But the Bible says, but now there is a temple and it is you and me. The Bible says we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And together we make up what we call the body of Christ, the church. And together we are the temple of God. And so I ask you today, and this is maybe one of those awkward moments for you. But I ask you, are you giving so that our priest, Jesus Christ, can do the work in the temple? Are you giving so that our priest, Jesus Christ, can do the work in the temple? Let me ask you a second question. Is there enough support so that we as Generation Church can do the work of Christ? Is there enough support so that we as Generation Church can do the work of Christ? Now, this isn't a a message about you guys giving lots of money. And it's not saying that we're hard hard done by. Uh, Our finances are just out there in the lobby, and you can take a look at them. And, you know, God is taking care of our finances. And I'm not asking you guys to come and just give all this money to this church. If, I mean... I believe in it, and I would say encourage you to give unto God. If you don't want to give here, then just give to another church. But it's about you giving unto God. Now, there's a reason, and I was talking to a couple this week in our church, and we were talking about just passing the offering around. And lots of churches, they took up one offering or two offerings, and they said, well, one thing we like about Generation Church is that you kind of just don't pass an offering plate around. There's a reason why we don't pass an offering plate around. And this is the reason. Because I believe that giving is a private matter between you and God. It's a private matter between you and God. It's got nothing to do with me. It's got nothing to do with the person next to you. It's a private matter between you and God. And so often, when we pass an offering plate around, you can see who's putting money in or putting this and that in. So instead, we decided we'd just have a drop box right at the back of the church so that you can do it privately in your own time unto God. Giving is between you and God. And one thing at this church that we know that we have never done and I hope we will never do, and that is ask you guys for money. It's just a a value of mine that we do not ask for money. We believe God for, you know, just keeping this, you know, 
this church. And God has blessed us with that. And there will be never a day, I hope, that we never come to you and say, we need this or we need that. But there is one thing also we will teach. We will say, it's never okay not to give. Because the Bible does tell us that we must give. And while giving is also a private thing, and like I said, this may be another one of those awkward moments, I also believe that giving is a church-wide thing as well. You know, when we were doing our end-of-year finances, and we were just closing out 2011, we discovered that probably about 25 to 30% of our church regularly give. Last year, we gave like 14,000, over $14,000 to foreign missions and local outreach. And I just want to challenge you today. Just imagine if 100% of our church regularly gave what we could do in this community. We could help change this community for the better. There's lots of people who are without homes. There's lots of people who are, you know, who go without. There's people who don't have enough food on the table. We discovered over Christmas, there's kids in this community who don't even have winter coats. Imagine what we could do if we all came together and we all gave unto God. But let's move on. So you may ask this question. So what should I give to God? I mean, you're talking about this giving stuff. So what should I give to God? Well, there's many people who argue that tithing is an Old, Old Testament principle. And it doesn't apply to the church. And I'll be honest, I think tithing is a gray area. I believe in myself, but it, it is a gray area. But there are a few absolutes about giving in the church. And I want to just share very quickly today, and I'm not going to take much of your time. But the first absolute about giving to the church is this. You must give so that the church never has to ask for money. You must give so the church never should ask for money. I don't know about you who have been in churches before, but, but I've been in them where it feels like every week the pastor is asking for money. He's asking for this. You know, we have a guest preacher come, and then they take up a love offering for the preacher. Or, you know, they have this missionary come, and they give to mission, and they take up an offering for this missionary. Or, or they want to do all this stuff for missions outreach, so they take all these offerings for mission outreaches. And while I don't think that's a bad thing, it's not a biblical thing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in a place called Corinth. And he said this. He said, on the first day of each week, you should put aside a portion of the money you have earned. Then he says this. Don't wait until I get there, then try to collect it all at once. As a principle here is that you give unto God and you give unto the church so then the church don't have to try and scramble all this stuff at once. Don't give. Or sorry, give so the church doesn't have to ask for giving. The second principle the Bible teaches us, it says, you decide how much to give. You decide how much to give. And while I believe, I, I'm a believer in the principle of the tithe, and that's what I've decided in my heart I'm going to give. But you decide how much to give. And, and the Bible verse here, the Apostle Paul again, he says in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7, he says, you must decide in your heart how much to give. You must decide in your heart how much to give. Then he says this, don't give reluctantly 
or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. I don't know, and I, I, you know, we're not in the business of knocking other people at all. But I always have to question when somebody has to pressure somebody else into giving. Not a biblical principle at all. You decide in your own heart what you will give. And then the third principle of what we should give to God. I believe we give willingly, joyfully, and out of what we have, not what out of what we don't have. In Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to 44, it says, Jesus was talking, it says this, it says, Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple. They like had a drop box, kind of like we do. And it says, and Jesus watched as the crowds dropped their money, uh, or dropped, uh, dropped in their money. It says there, it says, many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has to live on. God isn't concerned in what you give. He's concerned in how you give. He's not concerned in numbers. Because Jesus said this poor widow was actually given more than all these other people who dropped in lots and lots. Because they were just given kind of like what the change in their pocket. It didn't hurt them to give. But for this lady, she gave sacrificially unto God. She gave out of what she had. And I believe today, if you're not given in these areas, it's not the end of the world. Because God loves you. And I believe God will work in your heart and work in your life. But if you're not given in these areas, I believe you're not honoring God in your giving. Well, Malachi says, he said, he said that they had robbed God. These people in Jerusalem had robbed God. They had cheated God. Well, you say, am I cheating God? Am I cheating God with what I give unto God? Well, I'll give you very quickly three ways that you, can, you know that you're cheating God in your giving. Firstly, if you claim the glory for yourself instead of giving God the glory. That's why, we, well, that's why I believe it's a private thing given. So you can give glory to God instead of giving glory to yourself. In Matthew 6 verse 1, Jesus says, he says, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly. And he was talking about at this time giving in the temple. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others. For you will lose your reward from your Father in heaven. Don't do things that other people will think, oh, what a great person they are. Do it unto God. We rob God if we willingly withhold what belongs to God. Willingly withhold what belongs to God. In Mark chapter 12 and verse 17, it says, Jesus said, well then, Jesus said, Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. The Pharisees have come to him and says, uh, should we pay taxes? Should we pay taxes on, onto the Roman Empire? And Jesus got a coin and he said, whose face is on this coin? And they said, Caesar's. He says, well, if there's Caesar's face on that coin, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Pay your taxes. And I encourage you all, pay your taxes. But what God has given you, Given unto God what belongs to God. And then the third way we rob God is when we give 
second unto God, not first. Second unto God, not first. In Malachi, that same uh, book, Malachi chapter 1, verse 7. It says there, it says, God said, You have shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. Then you ask, how have we defiled the sacrifices? It says, you defile them by saying the altar of the Lord deserves no respect. The whole point of the offering, the first fruit offering, was to give God the first. But these guys, they, these guys here, they were given to God, but they were given to God second. And I ask you today, are you honoring God with what you give to Him? Or are you robbing God with what you give to Him? And like Malachi, when these people of God, they dishonored God with their giving, their place of worship was neglected. And result, the result was their community was in ruins. However, when they honored God, the results were amazing. God poured out a blessing so great that there was not enough room to take it all in. As we close today, I want to give you two very quick stories. It's very easy to read the Bible and read some principles. But you may ask, does that really work in real life? And I want to give you two personal stories. My grandmother was made a widow at the age of 38. She was left with two children, a 10-year-old, boy, a 10-year-old girl and a 7-year-old boy. Back then in, I don't know, 1950, whatever it was, the women stayed at home and the men worked. My, grand, my grandfather was a preacher. He also had a second job as well. And when he died, all their income left. She couldn't keep the house. She had no money for, uh, to pay the bills. So they sold the house and they moved into government housing. She got a job where she was working 10 hours a day. She had to catch two buses to get to the job. She was gone 12 to 13 hours a day. I mean, most of us today would be like, you're neglecting your kids. A 10-year-old and a 7-year-old. She had to do to feed, what she had to do to feed her family. One Wednesday night, she finished work and she went to church because they had a Bible study at church. And she gets there and they have a missionary there. The missionary was from South America, and he was telling a, a story about all these, all these kids that he was feeding, these homeless kids that he was feeding. And as soon as he started speaking, my grandmother, who was a godly woman, she prayed like nobody I've ever known pray before. And she, she was a godly woman. She felt God immediately say to her, give everything that you have in your purse. And she knew exactly what she had in her purse, for she had been paid that day. She had enough money to pay the rent, to pay the groceries, and then for her bus the next day. And she felt God say this, and she argued with God. And she said, God, I cannot do this. I have kids to feed. I have a house to take care of. And as the guy kept talking, he didn't ask for anything. She just felt God say, you need to give what's in your purse. So with tears in her eyes, at the end of the service, they took up an offering and she emptied her purse into that offering. She went home that day with nothing in her purse. As she got home, my dad comes running down the stairs. He says, Mom, Mom, look what I've got. And he pulls out 20 one-pound notes. 
Back then in 1950, 21-pound notes was probably close to, I don't know, $1,000, $1,500. She was horrified. She was like, what? Where would you get that from? Who do you rob? He says, Mom, you wouldn't believe it. I was walking home from school, uh, and I went to my friend's house. And I stayed there, and about 7 o'clock I decided to go home. And he says, around 7.30, I was just getting home, and I looked over, and there was a hedge. There was a big bush, and I looked, and I saw something gleaming in the hedge. And I looked over, and I put, I put my hand in and pulled it out, and it was this money. And he looked around, and he said, there was nobody else around. And she started welling up with tears in her eyes. Because she knew it was about 7.30 when she had emptied her purse into that offering plate. God provided for that family that day. What she gave was all that she had. What she received was an abundance of what God had given her. And from that day on, my dad says, they never, ever hungered ever again. Yeah, they didn't have much. They didn't have cars and they didn't have you know, the best clothes. But he said they never struggled again after that. I remember hearing stories like that uh, that I would hear from my grandparents and my parents, and it was just well within me. And I remember God, I remember I prayed to God, I said, God, I mean, you bless them. I mean, give me a story. And then it happened one day. I just moved to the United States. I'd quit my job in the UK. When I first came over here, I was going to get married, but I came on a tourist visa. I couldn't work or do anything like that. We had just paid off all our debt. I had just paid off all of my debt in the UK because I didn't want to leave the UK with any debt. Raquel, my wife, or my fiance at the time, she was on a, a music pastor's salary. And for those of you who know what pastors get, Jesus pittance, and especially music pastors. We didn't know if we had enough to live on, but we were getting married a month later. And we had kind of under-budgeted for our wedding. And I remember the day we sat in her apartment. And we started looking at how much we owed. And we needed to make a check for $5,000 on Tuesday. And it was Saturday. And I was, she started crying, saying, how are we ever going to do this? It's all hopeless. Let's just go to the register's office and get married. We can't afford this wedding. And I said to her, I don't know where it came from. I said, don't worry, God's going to provide. I said, we've trusted in God. God's going to provide. And I remember that day, God spoke to me very specifically. And it wasn't like an audible voice, but it was, just, it was something that just dropped in my mind. I knew exactly. Raquel had made this pledge. She'd been at this church, and this church was in this new building. She'd made a, a pledge to their building campaign. And she was like a couple of months behind on a building campaign. She really hadn't given that much. And, um, and, and I came and I saw this and I was horrified. I was like, we've got to give, we've got to give, we've got to give on to God. And I decided that day, I said, okay, tomorrow we're going to catch up on our building funds. We had no money and we had this $5,000 bill that we needed. And I remember I said, okay, so we're going to give. And I remember the day I dropped the check in the offering. And I said, God, I can't afford this but I know that you're going to provide. And we caught up on that building pledge. Immediately after the service, her boss, the pastor of the church, 
And it was like a church plant, kind of like we are. I mean, it was kind of different. They had like about 800 people or something in their church. But they were like two years in. And he came. He says, Raquel. He says, Alex and Raquel, come to my office. He says, he says, I just felt yesterday I wanted to do this for you. I felt I just wanted to, to give on, onto you and help you guys with your wedding costs. He gave us a check for $5,000 that day. And, and, and I'm not making it up. And I'm not saying that, hey, you put some money off and play. God's going to give you $5,000. Because it, it, it doesn't always work like that. But all I know, that day, I learned a valuable lesson. You give unto God, and God will give back to you. The Bible says he will give pressed down, shaking together, and then running over. God is a God who meets your needs. The Bible says, it says that, it says that if you trust in the Lord... He will provide all of your needs according to his riches and glory. And all I know is that if you have a need today, God is the answer to that need. And I'm not saying that you just got to drop money in the offering plate. I'm not saying that. Maybe it's a, it's a fact that you've just got to step out and you, you've got to open your Bible and, 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 and ask God for, 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 for some sort of sign or some sort of way that God can help you. I don't know what it is, but all I know is that God is a God that provides for his people. And when you trust him and you honor God with all that God has given you, God will provide. It's a lesson I learned. It's a lesson I know my parents learned, my grandparents learned. And I know for many of you this morning, it's a lesson that you guys have learned as well. When you honor God, God will honor you. We've been talking about how to keep up with the Benjamins. You know, I mean, there's more month left than money most of the time. And it seems upside down. If we give to God, then we'll have more. Well, that's just the Bible. The kingdom of God is an upside down world compared to what we are. We, we say save, 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 save. God says, give, 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 and I will give back to you. Let's pray.